0: Welcome, everybody, to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher, and we are so excited that you've decided to tune in and listen to us. Join us here on this podcast journey, episode number one. We've got a lot of great things coming. Ralph, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm uh, still
1: quarantined a little bit, but I'm excited. First show. This should be exciting. and Everybody
0: should listen and have fun. So I'm pumped up. That's right. I'm pumped up too. I can feel it. Now, Ralph, what can people uh, come to expect from center court when they tune in on to this podcast every week?
1: Well, Jason, as you know,
0: we've been batting around for a number
1: of months here to come back with a new, unique, and creative podcast so people can listen, learn, and be educated about just the stuff we talk about. Take a look at little nugget home with them so they can be educated on something that we talk about sports, inside sports,
0: outside of sports, business life. Everything will be at Center Court. That's right. Now, most of you know a lot about Ralph Sampson, NBA Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players in college basketball history, but you might not know how active he is away from the game, in the community, and he's got a Rolodex of so many friends in the sports world and beyond, and we're going to be chatting with many of those every single week, some of the biggest names in sports. Ralph and I actually got to know each other a few years ago. We had a radio show. Don't say how long. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm the young one on the podcast that makes me feel good i like it you're the tall one and the experienced one uh and We've had a, a great time working together and we wanted to bring that show beyond just local radio markets around the country to a national audience here on a podcast. So we're really excited to launch Center Court and for you to be here with us. Every week we're gonna have incredible guests joining us, but this yeah. first show is a little bit different. The year 2020, this is a pretty crazy year. One that we will remember for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. Can we just
1: scratch 2020 and go to 21? I mean, this 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 <laughs> six, first six months in 2020 has been- been a year like no other than I think everybody's life that may be listening or
0: even ourselves for sure so it's been it's been crazy we'll we'll get into all that as well Today's episode is going to look a little bit different from our typical center court podcast. We do not have a guest on today. Today's episode, it's just going to be the two of us. And there's so many things happening in the world. The year 2020, I can't believe that it's only June right now. Uh, We've already dealt with so much from the tragic passing of uh, Kobe and Gianna Bryant uh, to the coronavirus that has really shut down our world and our economy as we knew it before uh, and changed everything overnight to the tragedy that took place in Minneapolis with the murder of George Floyd that has shown a light on the systematic racism uh, and prejudice uh, that continues to plague our country. So with all of these issues going on right now, we thought we, we need to address them before we move on with the, the business of sports and, and our normal, uh, fun, lighthearted banter. We want to talk about some of that. But before we get into that, a regular segment that Ralph and I are going to do here on Center Court is something called What's New, What's Good, where we each bring to the table two different topics, something new that we learned or discovered each week, and something good, some good news. And especially right now, we could use... Give you the little good news. You can use Absolutely. That. You Definitely. So we'll kick it off right here. What's new? What's good? Something new that I came across this, uh, this week, just in these past few days. The New York Times uh, posted a video. It's called Eight Minutes, 46 Seconds. And do yourself a favor, Google that, check it out. It is a very, very powerful video. It's extremely difficult to watch, but I think it's very important. It is the best reporting that I've seen of what happened in Minneapolis the night that George Floyd was murdered, using every camera angle, EMS and police reporting calls, eyewitness accounts. uh, It is a comprehensive view of second by second how this took place. And you could see how How negligent uh the other officers were, how complicit they were uh in not stepping in and stopping Derek Chauvin, and how wrong this man was, how this clearly was murder and it is uh like i said it's 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 not easy to watch, but it's very important to have an understanding and and Ralph when you first saw what happened to George Floyd and you saw that video, what did that make you feel?
1: Well, I was going to ask you the same thing, Jason. What, what part of that video that you saw that was most impactful? I mean, the knee on the neck is definitely the impactful moment, right? But you know, to me, they I mean, had him sitting on the sidewalk, handcuffed mm-hmm. against the wall. They had him on the curve. They had him in the car. So this video is very powerful of all the Things they did, and then somehow, some way, he he got drug out the other side of the car and put on the ground. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's definitely um, uh, it's a powerful video. Everybody should watch it. I'm sure everybody out there has seen some of it or some version on it. But all the angles are amazing to watch to understand the really the impactful tragedy. I, I, it's no word to describe it. The murder, all the things you said, Jason. It's it's just it's an amazing video to watch, but you better you know get ready for it because it's it's, it's it's like no that, that makes sense. that' makes sense of what happened to this man
0: it really doesn't. It just shows that he was not being treated as a human being as he was uh, begging for help. The think uh, though he he got that for
1: a, a, a 20 dollar bill that was counterfeit supposedly right. um, and it got a call from a local store that or somebody they were watching mm-hmm. I think it's more more to this story than we know yeah, uh, I think it's a lot more than we know.
0: Well, they have not released yet the officer's body camera footage that was recording, and I think that will reveal a lot more, a lot more what happened when they did place George Floyd inside of the car and he was thrown out, what was said, what took place. Absolutely. uh, I, I think... Hopefully, for transparency's sake, uh, that will come to light. And certainly in the trial, I think we're going to continue to get more information. Yeah,
1: this is very, very heavy. So, the, have a, so my question to you is, so if you were a person and you were watching that, would you step in? I mean, you got four cops, five cops with guns on. And would you actually step in and say, get off of him? Or what would you do? Because then that police person may shoot you or put you in handcuffs. What would you do? I mean... People out
0: there, I can ask themselves, what would they do? It's funny you you ask that because when I watched that video that I referenced, 8 minutes, 46 seconds, and you see all the the eyewitness accounts and the people yelling, get off of him, I was picturing myself standing right there and just wishing someone just charged the officer or someone did step in. And I, I was imagining myself doing that and wishing that I had been there to do something. And I... I don't know. No one knows what you really would have done unless yeah. you were there in the moment. But I like to think that I would have stepped in. I would have provoked something. I would have gotten in someone's face to to make it yep. very clear what you're, he's doing is wrong. And, and I do think the power of uh, the social media age that we're living in, that we very all powerful. carry yep. cameras with yep. us in our pockets at all times, if something like this, you know, I should say when something like this happens again, because unfortunately, history shows that something like this likely will happen again at some point. I do think that bystanders are much more likely to get involved, to step in, to say that just because you you have a badge, you are the authority figure, you're the one in uniform, doesn't mean you're right. And Absolutely. I think people in the future are going to be even more likely to intervene in a situation.
1: Well, we'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk about some solutions at the end of the show, but yeah, somebody has to intervene somewhere there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some of the rules will change for these police officers to understand that you just can't put your neck, knee on someone's neck or choke somebody or just shoot somebody. Breonna Taylor, but he's going to shoot her. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a nightmare. So I know. I get that. But so my, my what's news is so one of those officers, one of the youngest, he's a rookie, got on crowdfunding and made bail $750,000 worth in his crowdfunding social media platform and made bail. Wow. Uh, which is amazing to me that, I mean, he might've been a young rookie and not knowing what he needs to do, but is it because he didn't get the proper training? He just didn't know. He was listening to other people and he was laying on this guy's back, holding him down. So it's amazing, which, you know, I tell people sometimes that they, they, they'll make bail, Mm-hmm. They will make bail, and I'll be. It's scary to make bail in this in this country right now. He, he he's about to hide somewhere mm-hmm. because somebody could kill him uh, because he did make bail, and uh, you know it, it's just amazing that crowdfunding these days can raise enough money, which I, I expected that seven hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars
0: worth to make bail.
1: That's that's just crazy.
0: What. It is crazy, and it's it's crazy that that many people want to uh, put their money behind uh, putting these officers back on the streets or or getting them off. Um, that uh, I, I didn't know that, and that's definitely interesting news. Um, but i'm I'm not surprised either. I actually thought about that when they set the the bail amounts for all of the officers involved that I right. wouldn't be surprised if some anonymous donors absolutely uh, come yeah. in and and help these guys out.
1: And through crowdfunding, you can do that. Someone just can't walk up, so it's kind of anonymous. You can say anonymous donation in crowdfunding,
0: and sure. and, and and people can donate money, and you never, know, you never know who it is. It's interesting. Well, we'll get into this a little bit later, because uh, we've seen all the... The protests, uh, many of them peaceful, but some, especially at the beginning, uh, violent. a lot of fires and looting and rioting. And uh, I am worried that there still is going to be a trial. And if these four officers are not convicted and not with serious sentences, I'm worried for what the reaction in this country will be. Um, That what happened in 1992 with Rodney King, that whole reaction in Los Angeles was not based on the video and what happened. It was based on the officers getting off. And I think what we saw uh, in the streets in Minneapolis and Los Angeles, just a few blocks from my house where cop cars were burned and small businesses were burned down, I think that's not even going to scratch the surface of the unrest that our society will face.
1: Yeah, it's just, you know, know, this is a crazy year. Uh, Like like we said, 2020 should just be wiped off the calendar, you know, from like you talk about Kobe Bryant to the pandemic and now to the protests. Mm -hmm. And the protests, you know, history, right? Their, Their protests, always Rodney King to the Tulsa massacres to, you know, Martin Luther King's March on Washington. It's always been protests, unrest and looting and rioting. But imagine this protest worldwide. It's, it's, a, it's probably the largest movement ever in the history of this country, worldwide. Yeah. And it was looting in the beginning, with some people degenerates out there burning up stuff. But that slowed down very quickly, and it became peaceful protests. Sure. Then we had our lovely president cause a lot of issues with peaceful protests being more violent protests. To people calling certain people out, to certain areas of the country not being unified to understand what these protests are and what mm-hmm. they should be, and the meaning of the protests. So it's it's crazy to watch on TV, and actually it, we all watch it every day. But I had to stop watching it. I can't, you can't watch it anymore because it's a lot of issues that's underlining here that are coming out now, and it's you can reprimand the police. You know they have a right in the union that will say these guys could get off actually mm-hmm. uh, because of some reason, some some something that could say that they were doing their job because of the rules. Well the rules can't be that you can kill somebody, which in knee on their neck, or you can shoot somebody deliberately without any calls. And so it's going to be interesting to watch what happens with this trial. And you're right, if it doesn't go out the right way that it needs to, we're in for a big riot. We're in for, I, I think we're in for almost a civil war in this country um, amongst people. Because if it does, it's going to be people while they're battling against each other, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. It is.
0: It absolutely is. And uh, as you said, it's it's hard to watch the news all day because it it can bring you down. It it can be depressing and discouraging seeing, uh, you know, where our president has taken us and as things unfold. But but. We need good news, too, and that brings us to what's good, and I did come across some good news that LeBron James and some other star athletes continue to use their voice and to translate that voice in this movement into... actual change at the ballot box. They've just launched more than a vote. It's geared towards energizing black voters and thwarting voter suppression in key cities around the country. It includes Eric Bledsoe in Milwaukee, Draymond Green in Michigan, where he's from, Trey Young and Alvin Kamara in Atlanta, Udonis Haslam in Miami, Sam Perkins, Stephen Jackson in Houston, Kevin Hart in Philadelphia. This is finally a little bit of good news. So many activists, athletes, Leaders coming together to translate this movement into action at the ballot box in November.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to watch. I mean, you you look at back in the day where you had Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, those guys band together, you know, in the 60s to call the same type of uh, unified front, right? And it's amazing to see LeBron and the crew now and be able to do that. Imagine, though, Michael Magic, LeBron. I mean, all NBA players are all athletes, and they have a powerful voice. But sometimes back in the day, they were also scared to to create that voice because they would get banned or Mm -hmm. or get their uh, contract, you know, known I mean, look at the Knicks and how that owner is presenting that. Nobody in the Knicks organization can say anything. Mm -hmm. So LeBron's strong enough to do that. Uh, Michael's strong enough to do that. Obviously, with his brand, he's doing some great things as well we can talk about. But them to be that unified and close, it took them a couple of weeks to be able to do that. But they had to get together, and make sure to get that done and do it the right way because they can make a big change. And we all will support that for sure. Absolutely. All right. Do you have some good news for me, Ralph? Well, the you know, um, the good news is for me, the NBA is back. Yeah. Uh, and it's exciting to, you know, at least have some basketball and some sports that we can watch that we love. But there's a lot of questions around that as far as why, when, and how. But to see guys come back and play, it's going to be amazing, not just the play, but the atmosphere that they're going to play in. From a player standpoint, how are they going to work? Uh, how will the, will the NBA put some music around it? How there be fan interactions? So I know the NBA is very strong and powerful.
0: NBA entertainment is amazing. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited too. This country is definitely craving sports. We miss it. Um, It's something that brings us together, that unites us, it unites races, it unites people of all different economic backgrounds, religions. Um, It's one of the the biggest uniters in society. And that's one of the reasons I love sports so much. So we need it back. And I think it's also coming at a moment where So many, as we just talked about, of the stars in the NBA, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, and so on, have voices and use their platform for good. And I think they're going to continue to do that during uh, this postseason that will take place when – the eyes of the nation will be on them. I think they're going to use that platform, not just for basketball and entertainment, it's but for life. good in yeah. this social
1: uh, justice. Well, they got to do it. They got to do it now because you can't do it a year from now. You got to do it while it's hot. Steven mm-hmm. Jackson, I see him on social media all the time. He's, he's got a voice. And he said the other night uh, that, you know, everybody's called me, tell me what to do, how to do it, whatever. He said, you didn't call me before. Mm-hmm. I, I know the people to call, I got to be, don't call me now. And so, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's Stephen Jackson, he, you know, he's a player, you know, he was ex- exciting and, and, and boisterous when he played and he's that way now for sure. And he has the platform that he can hold up and he's going he's gonna to be somebody to reckon with once he gets it all together. But with LeBron and the power to be helping him out, supporting him, supporting the cause, because it's not just George Floyd, it's it's a whole different movement that's like none other that we've ever seen.
0: That's true. Well, that brings us why why do you think this movement is so different? Because racism is something that has taken place in America since since day 1. That's, you know, the original sin of this country and and there is a long history of systemic racism in America. This is not something that has just begun or that we're just finally shining a light on. There have been many movements in the past as well, but Ralph, can you can you talk us through some of the history of this, yeah. uh, how we got here and why is this different? So I so will thought
1: about you for a second uh, on that. So Christopher Columbus did what? What is Christopher Columbus known for, in your opinion?
0: Well, uh, we're taught in school that he's known for discovering America, even though he really discovered land that other people lived on. Well, that,
1: right. How, how did Christopher Columbus get to the United States, to America?
0: Yeah, I mean, he was he was on a boat. Uh, I believe it was uh, he got money from from Spain, the king. Well, I didn't know. I, I was going to school this morning. All right, okay. Yeah, no, no, I get it. I mean, yeah, but, but yeah.
1: they don't know. So there was uh, in, in Boston, all these other places uh, the last couple of days that they were, you know, trying to take down Christopher Columbus's statue. Mm. Who, who was powering those boats coming over from where he came from? Who was underneath rowing those boats? Christopher Columbus was one of the first slave owners that was out there, right? So those Mm. statues that you see around the country at, uh, you know, Fort and Fort Debt and military, Christopher Columbus, even here in the state of Virginia, there's Robert E. Lee and all these statues of people that, you know, have now been questioned over the years. Uh, And nothing's been done about them, obviously. Uh, I was looking at the news, you know, the other day and, you know, from... Newport News, north of Virginia, to Charlottesville, Virginia, to Richmond, Virginia, to Christopher Columbus, to around the country. This has been going on for 400 years, right? Mm-hmm. So the stigma there is still here when you can see those statues and what they really mean. And history is never taught anymore. It's, it's only showed a little bit, like Christopher Columbus discovered America. Well, he really did, um, but mm-hmm. that's what history says. Robert E. Lee. It's funny. My high school rival, high school was R. E. Lee. Hmm. And so we just played each other. We knew about it. We knew about Robert Lee, But we also knew about what he was about. Now on that high school, last couple of years, it's just Stanton High School. It's not Robert e. Lee anymore. So it's changed mm-hmm. a lot when it comes down to that. So the the history is deep. From you know 400 years ago, 336 years of you know just that slavery to you know 89 years of you know segregation. You know, 1954, from the Tulsa massacres to, you know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, March on Washington. You know, some of the things are still at Rosa Park, sitting on the back of the bus. History is still there and it's taught in the system. You know, Black History Month is highlighted. And so when you look at it, the history is very deep. It's taught. And then it it just kind of just keeps growing, you know, on and on and on. And it's a nightmare right now to create, I was looking at something in my, even in my hometown, what the history of uh, the civil wars in Shenandoah Valley, it's very, very deep. Uh, And people still ride around with the Confederate flag and shotguns in the back of their truck. And so we've got to be very careful with something that pops off like that, because if you don't, then, you know, something could go down very quickly. So we start seeing those type of things like, oh my goodness. And there's a meaning behind it that people carry, not only the African-American population, but population in general, say, what does that really mean? Why is that guy doing that? If you don't know it, then you look it up you see what it means. So history is deep, it's still here. That's why this movement is so big. But now it's affecting not just the Rodney King riots in California, watch riots and all the Cincinnati riots all over the country. These were riots that were one off, right? One location. This one is worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it's so big, I mean, 60,000 people in, in California, Houston, uh, France, Spain, all all the places all the world, the riots are so, so large, but it became peaceful protests because everybody understands it. It's not just black. It's not just white. It's people. And so it becomes a, a movement that had to have significant change before it stops. And I think we're going to see that.
0: I hope so. It does feel like, uh, we're at a tipping point and hopefully we can turn what has been, uh, uh, an awful year, as we mentioned, 2020, we can turn this into uh, a positive and that this is actually an important year in our history for people to realize that it's time to get rid of glorifying the Confederate flag. It's time to get rid of glorifying slave owners and, and not to ignore our history because it's important to acknowledge that that did take place because if we just erase it, it's almost to say that it never happened. And knowing that all of these things happened is so important because that's how we got here to this point um, where enough is enough. Um, but the days of of glorifying and, and paying tribute to the past of how that Absolutely. used to be, uh, I, I think are done. And I think most people are fed up with it. Um, and I do think and I'm going to keep coming back to this that it does we need to translate this energy to towards a movement at the ballot box because so much yep. of our leadership starts at the very top and unfortunately what is making the situation worse is having a president who uh stokes the flames of racism and tries to divide us uh much more than bring us together and i think new leadership is Step one in a long journey, yeah or agree getting definitely equality. step one for sure, yeah, I mean, but you I
1: mean, even looking at that that new journey, you can vote people in or out uh, you know i I have a difficult problem with Democrats and or Republicans, why they're two different parties that's the history of this country. I get that, but when you look at it, we all people, and we're all the same, but I think we have bigger problems after you get the correct people in the wild. I mean, how can you be a president for only four years? Mm-hmm. First year, you got your 100 days that you change the stuff up. And, you know, you, you're looking at what the previous president did if he was a a, a different party. You're you trying to change everything he did. Mm. Hear it? That's the first year, first year and a half. You got your policies and things you want to create and do. The second year, you're pretty good. The third year, you pretty good. But you, then the third year, you're going to invite the reelection. So mm-hmm. you got almost two years before you can do anything and then you got to fight the other party about passing the bill, getting anything done. You can't get anything done, but you can't do anything being the president of the United States that can affect anybody because it's going to change four years later, potentially, right? Yeah. So, but look, look at the dynamics of this thing now. So from, you know, the Mexican borders, Trump, I'm going to build a wall. Okay, great, why? I mean, they they going to go under the wall, over the wall, in regards to whether it's coming to the United States because it's free. Look at my local town of Harrisonburg, Virginia, population 70,000 people. There are 52 languages spoken in that city. There are seven different languages spoken in the high school, typically. And it's hard to teach kids in that school. So that's a small town. Think about the big cities. Mm -hmm. Teachers are are, are screaming out, trying to figure out what to do. They need help. You got 30 kids to one teacher in the classroom. I think we got bigger problems than we know uh, in the future. But hopefully some of those can start to be looked at and fixed as we go right now. And we can fix some of those problems as we continue to make this happen.
0: Well, uh, you know, we sit here today talking about uh, race in America and the history of racism and, and prejudice uh, and how it continues to affect us today. But I am very well aware that I'm a, you know, white male in my short mid-30s. white guy, short white guy. good. Yeah, okay, <laughs> all right. You gotta bring height into this. That's Can't another jump. form of discrimination, right? Come on. Jump, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and I have a much different experience around this than than you do, and I'm I'm just curious how uh, racism has affected you in your life, in your your childhood, your your playing career, and even uh, your post uh, basketball career.
1: I think it's different when you when you're young. So, as a child, you know, we had the African American community the black community, Northeast community. And that's where we lived, it was a village. And typically uh, no other race would come through that village because they were scared. Uh, something would happen or a fight would break out. That's the way it started, right? So every country, every city, every area that I know of right now had that area of town. Where's the, where's the, where's the black area? Where's, the, where's mm-hmm. the people live? And it was a culture. It was, you know, block parties to, you know, uncles and aunts on every corner to family and friends. So you knew everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. That's gone. Uh, The gentrification, opportunity zones, all that stuff is just it's just gone. Uh, It's not there anymore. It's kind of crazy to watch. So you had that growing up and you knew that, you know, I could walk to my elementary school and come back and knew when I got back to a certain area of town whether I walked from school that I was safe. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was a kind of a safety net safety zone there. So that, that changed That's The only thing I saw when I was younger, because we, we played basketball every day, we we had family, friends, there was no shooting and just that now that there were fights, you know, everybody, you know, you, 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 fought with your hands, you didn't fight with a gun, you knew what was out there because you knew racism, racism existed, you know it, but you know, as the basketball players, and student athlete growing up, you know, I was kind of sheltered to some of it because everybody from the Caucasians to uh, any other culture knew me from playing sports, the rec leagues. If you can play in the rec leagues, you could play there, and you knew different families, you knew different friends. You know, as I look back, you know, we had a pretty good rec team, right? So I was very tall, obviously, and you play on an eight-foot basket. You can only score 16 points. Well, we had a pretty good team, and the people would get mad because we beat everybody. So mm-hmm. they would say, well, you're loading people up. You're loading teams up. You know, that was in the 70s. No one knew about the NBA that much, it was one game a week, but you're people, he's tall. He's better than everybody else. So we try to beat him up a little bit. So it only made me tougher, which was great. Mm-hmm. But you saw that, but you didn't pay attention to it because it's just competition. Yeah. So then as in high school, you get a little sheltered because you, you're pretty good and you got a good team and you're playing, you play in your competition. We played against R.E. Lee. You know, we played against a little team. There was a story in one of the newspapers. Now, now Broadway, Virginia had an area where uh You know, you would have a little bit more racism there because of the area it is, and you would have more the uh, uh, rebel flags and the guns and the trucks. They was going to play us, but they didn't have the guy. Maybe it's five, eight, five, nine, five, ten, six foot, maybe the tallest. I was six foot seven, so mm-hmm. you know we go go down there. But they used broomsticks in their hand to block shots, and they put the rebel flag on top of the broomstick. So I didn't I didn't pay attention to it at that point in time. It was in the newspaper, but. I, that's okay, great. We could go down and beat you, you know what, at that point in time, they'll make a difference what we do because you do that. It only made me more matter as a young kid. And in yeah. high school and college, you didn't see that type of stuff when you play because you were always in the gym, you were playing, so forth and so on. But as I look back, University of Virginia typically only had one, two, maximum three Americans on their team in the 70s. Didn't have didn't have that. And as I started to understand some, some other guys that I know that played there, they only had two because the Caucasian guys didn't want to didn't want to sleep with them in the room on the road. Uh, that was early in, in early 70s. And Coach Allen and as, as I know and love, you know, we we've talked about so many things here and there. But that's how it was. In 7980, I brought in four African Americans and it turned turned University of Virginia around. So it's still there. But even today, as I look back, University of Virginia is is still, it has some of that uh, deeply rooted Thomas Jefferson racism with the school and the powers to be that on the board because they have a certain way. And I say it just because, you know, they are raising uh, they tore down university hall uh, last year and they hired a African-American female to be the AD, which uh, an African-American male coach, Craig Lopage was the previous AD, but they never would engage with the African-American athletes, even, even African-American ADs wouldn't engage with the athletes to bring us back to support us. whatever. Now you look at North Carolina, their stories, uh, we hopefully we'll have you on money Charlie Scott. There was some stuff him from the first black athlete at North Carolina that he went through that was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll save those stories till later. But at Virginia, they was trying to raise $180 million and they should have brought us back. And people wanted me to come back and be supportive of the school, come back and wave and wave it again, whatever. But some of the powers to be, African-Americans and Caucasians said you should come back and they should give you a lifetime contract where you support the school. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't do it. And these are powerful billionaire people that are are African-American and Caucasian that went to the school and said, here's what we want to do. And some of them will pull back some of their money and say, okay, you don't want to do that. Then we don't want these tickets on the front row anymore. You know, we don't want that front row seats, half a million dollars, the front row seats for five years or whatever it may be, right? Sure. One seat, one seat. Yeah. yeah, this guy I know has ten seats. Wow, he reduces it from ten to four, just because of that reason. So it's deeply rooted, uh, and it, it's you got to overcome it. And from the sports perspective, I can only imagine what the academic perspective is. So I could go on and on about that. That's a whole another different angle. University of Virginia, some history there, but it's very, very deeply rooted in that from the Thomas Jefferson days as well.
0: Well, as a prominent athlete growing up um, with you know huge national significance, did you ever feel pressure to speak up uh, against racism and these issues back when you were playing? Because the role of athletes to speak up and use their platform has certainly evolved uh, over time, where today we now see uh, LeBron James as a perfect example. But back in I'll use Michael Jordan as an example. He, there's that famous quote when he was playing, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too. He right. tried not to get political. He was solely focused on basketball and winning, and he didn't want anything to distract him versus Michael Jordan today, him and the Jordan brand pledge to donate $100 million over the next 10 yep. years yep. to organizations dedicated to ensuring racial equality and social justice. Things have changed. How was it for you when when you played?
1: Well, I mean, I'll, I'll allude to your, your point with Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. I mean, had, you know, he pledged a hundred million through with some loans and this and another. Imagine, you know, so Michael Jordan, ten years, a hundred million a year to the calls. This cause call has been out there for a lot of years, and now because of the movement and the level of it, now I step up and I pledge money. Could have done that. Five years ago, could have done that 10 years ago. Um, So it's a little bit different for me on that side. I'm I'm thankful for what Michael can do and who he is. I know him well, magic Mm -hmm. and what he's doing as well. I tell him all the time, why can't y'all work together and do something big? Mm -hmm. You know, do something big. So that that, I'll come back to that in a second. But your point was, you know, stepping up as an athlete to be able to to, to be involved in a movement or be involved in the cause. We all are involved at our local level in some type of cause, some type of way, but no one knows it. You know, no one understands it. I talked to Alonzo the morning the other day. Okay, great. He does great things in Miami, but you wouldn't know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the foundation the cause. So I tell him, you, Zoe, you were iconic when you played. They know you were the beast and you played tough and rough, but you're only iconic in your neighborhood right now. And mm-hmm. so that needs to be highlighted more. And I think that's going to happen here soon with athletes around the country as you see them unite, even this young athlete. And then the last point of that is this back in the day, when, the, when we played, the NBA wasn't like it is today financially. I saw a little bit of a financial thing with Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Well, when Steph Curry went to the Warriors, the Warriors only valued at about $400 million. Now the Warriors are valued at $4.7 billion. You know, so the level of significance that he brought to the table and that whole crew and over the years, the Warriors were a pit stop Mm -hmm. in the NBA when I played. I played there. It was a dump. It wasn't a place you didn't want to play. You you went there Mm -hmm. and some of your guys got caught on drugs there. I mean, it was a dump. It wasn't a good place. Mm -hmm. So now it's a great place. And that's the evolution of the game. But we played in the NBA when it just was coming in to be the height of it. Magic Johnson, Julius Irving, Larry Bird started and then everything thing started to take off, right? So no one could step out there like a Bill Russell, a Kareem, a, a Muhammad Ali in the 60s that they stepped up because at that time they needed to. We were on the cusp of the, taking the NBA to a different level. It went to that level and now look at it. I mean, guys are making 40, $50 million a year. We're just making two, one. I mean, it was, it was a totally big difference. So now you can do that and sustain yourself financially because if you did
0: it back in the day, you might not have had a contract next week. Interesting. That's a that's a really good point I didn't think about. I mean, when you played, you were at this cusp of the NBA getting to where it is today, where salaries are astronomical, Increased, but also the, the, the voices, the platform, the reach, the impact that players have is much greater. And And you see that even in the the protests these recent weeks. I mean, I, I saw Jalen Brown, Russell Westbrook, yep, yep, DeMar DeRozan, yep, yep. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kyle Lowry, Tobias Harris, Harrison Barnes, Malcolm Brogdon, Giannis, yep, yep. all out in the streets protesting with megaphones, using their absolutely. voice to make a difference at the local levels in their hometowns or their current you know, NBA cities. How does it make you feel? When I mean you know a lot of these guys. I know we've chatted a lot with Malcolm Brogdon and other right, right. grad. How does it make you feel to see these young guys you know who've you've served as a mentor to them out there using their platform and their voice for good uh, so,
1: well you see you saw the Malcolm Brogdon uh, comments on social media and, and the press. I mean I think you sit back and watch and relax you're an NBA player, you hesitate to go out there initially in the beginning because you don't know what it's all about because they're looting the riot and you don't want to go out there and get hurt and injured and you know lose your contract. And so I think when the movement went to a peaceful protest, you saw like, ah, I, I want to get involved. <clears throat> I want to get out there. Uh, how can I do this peacefully? What should I do? And no one knew. So, you know, now the guys are stepping up, stepping out because now they are becoming united together and more powerful together because LeBron, the big boy, stepped up and said something. When you got somebody like that stepping up, the little guys now can step up because the big boys are stepping up, right? Mm-hmm. Michael steps up, Magic steps up. So now they can be unified. The, um, the, the, all the other stories that other athletes and other sports stepped up. Yeah. So when it comes that way, you become a little bit more at ease to go out there and say something about it or be seen in protests. With social media, it becomes very large. Mm-hmm. And so guys are doing that now, you got to figure out what to do with it stepping up and doing something and donating money is great, but you got to significantly make something an impact so you can make some change with what's out here, because it's very serious, you know, from kindergarten to professional athletes it's very serious. The educational system, the healthcare system, this, these things got to change sooner or later here. And it's going to be good to see.
0: Well, you mentioned it's not just the NBA. Other sports have taken a, a big role in this and a leading voice. And one of the, the key catalyst in this conversation has been sparked by what Drew Brees, uh, the quarterback Absolutely. of the New Orleans Saints, what he said. Uh, he was interviewed uh, about all of this and asked about, you know, kneeling, uh, the peaceful protest that Colin Kaepernick started uh, and if he would do that. And, you know, he said he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States, that he loves and respects his teammates. And he stands right there with them in regard to fighting for racial equality and justice. Uh, I also stand with my grandfathers who risked their lives All for this country, and countless other military men and women who do it on a daily basis. Well, the backlash was was swift and fierce yeah, yeah, uh, at those comments from current uh, NFL players, from his teammates, uh, from society at large. And um, I I have some thoughts on this, but but I'm also curious um, your thoughts on on Drew Brees and his initial comments in that Yahoo interview that he did?
1: Yeah, so it, it wasn't, um, I mean, it's, it's his personal feeling with his father and grandfather, I think, that when I listened to it and I listened to it a couple of times about the history of their life and their career and their patriotism to the country and being in the military uh, and respecting that. So I think he was going that mostly. But coming out and just saying that and not understanding why Colin Kaepernick kneel, I think it's mm-hmm. the, the difference in what he said and what he could have said. So you, if you don't understand it, you should, should do a little homework in history before you speak.
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: it becomes very, especially when this thing becomes as heightened as it is, you daggone short sure need to real, realize why. right? And then you make your statements. Like if you have then other statements that become racist or anything else, then it comes out. And he showed that, and if they're racist, I don't think so. I just think he didn't know what he was saying or what he should say. And then social media, you can say anything you want, right, without having your publicist or somebody write something down for you say it that's candid speech. So then he had to, you know, eat a little crow, right, and come back the next couple of days and apologize for that because it affected his teammates. Yeah. I, again, look at what Drew B. has done, not just a football player. He's done a lot of stuff in New Orleans, giving back and doing things, but that's not highlighted. Mm-hmm. You know, not highlighted right now. Negative stuff is always highlighted more than the positive things. Sure. So he's done a lot in that community. Uh, whatever it may be, you can look at what he's done with the hurricanes and people there in, in the city. And I think he's a, a good guy, but he said the wrong things at the wrong time and didn't say the right things when he could have and had to come back and eat a little crow. And should have just said, hey, you know, George Floyd, uh, you know, sorry, if you started on saying something like that with the family, that you're sorry, you apologize for what's happening, you know, and you want to stand up for the flag. Stand up, you don't kneel, um, you know. But understand what you want to say. Understand what it's all about.
0: Yeah, I think the the mistake he made is that. Colin Kaepernick was not – what he was doing had nothing to do with the flag or disrespecting the troops. That is a distraction that we've been fed by certain groups and by Donald Trump uh, to distract from the issues that – these players are protesting against which is absolutely. police brutality and racism and that it's not an equal uh, you know uh, everyone is created equal it's the liberties no. that we're said to live by have not been that has not been the standard and it has nothing to do with the flag yeah, or the troops or anything like that that is just a distraction and and i think especially given the power of this movement right now uh, Drew Brees was was talking about the wrong subject. It's right. I heard someone use this analogy. It's like if if there was a, a colon canf- cancer conference going on, you wouldn't run into that conference yelling about breast cancer. It's like that's right. not what we're talking about right now. You're talking about the wrong thing. And I, I do think that Drew Brees is a good guy. Um, I actually saw uh, a take from a friend of mine, uh, Adam Lefko. He's an announcer for a uh, great uh, broadcaster for Bleacher Report and Turner Sports. He's glad that Drew Brees said what he did. And mm-hmm. I agree with him because Drew Brees now will become a leader. An activist. activist. He'll be a leader. Movement. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And he is going to be, I mean, week one of the NFL season, it's The Saints versus the Patriots – or excuse me, versus the Buccaneers. It's uh, Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. He's going to be – he's on a team that could win the Super Bowl this year. The spotlight will be on Drew Brees all year, and because I do believe he's a good guy and because I do believe he wants to do the right thing – He will become a leader in this movement. Someone who doesn't even realize there, you know, that they were ignorant before, or they weren't as sensitive as they should be. And there's a real opportunity now. Absolutely. And and I I think that it's a good thing. And even, I mean, he posted to Donald Trump because Donald Trump immediately saw what was happening and went to praise Drew Brees. So Drew Brees responded to Trump.
1: Well, that was adding fuel to the fire, right? Uh, Donald Trump added fuel to that fire, which didn't make sense. But look, look at the. significance of uh, Drew Brees, but also some of his teammates and what they said, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they
1: needed a, a Drew Brees, a Tom Brady to step up that were Caucasian and say something. Yeah. And so, you know, look at all the ones, that, I mean, Tom Brady's not saying anything or, or, or people like that. I mean, because but when you are Drew Brees and you can say something like that and you get that attention, he's going to have to step up and do something that's got to be heartfelt because sure. they'll know if it's not heartfelt from the beginning. But then look at Colin Kaepernick. And this is why most athletes don't step up because if I step up and have a political initiative, I have no contract.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I have no bit. I have nothing. Right. Nike had to pay Colin Kaepernick a million dollars because if they didn't pay him and make sure he was part of that culture, then they would have got beat up. Right. Mm-hmm. A little bit from that standpoint, but that's why athletes don't tend to do that because they know they would be ostracized and or talked about and or ridiculed to the point where, they lose their contract. So, right. you know, it, it, and, and to me, you know, it, just to be real with that, I mean, I love the NBA, I love professional sports, but it's still slavery to some extent. It's still something that just doesn't need to work. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way it goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's interesting. We'll get into that. But, you know, speaking on the NFL, uh, because of Drew Brees and his comments and, and the backlash and then Drew Brees tweeting Trump, it was time for the NFL to to say something. And Roger Absolutely. Goodell came out with a very strong statement for the first time. It was a little it was long overdue, but I'm glad that it happened. He said here, I'm going to read this. We, the NFL, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the NFL, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the NFL, believe black lives matter. That is a pretty powerful statement. It's maybe too late, but you know you know what? It's, it's not. It's It's never too late. It's never too late to do and say the right thing. And the NFL finally got it right. But. The question is, how will this translate to action? I think, right. you know, there'll be peaceful protests, and that's that's good to continue the conversation. But what are they going to do, uh, you know, to put their money where their mouth is? They're a multi billion dollar organization. They got to uh, figure it out. What are they going to do?
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. So they'll figure it
1: out. I mean, they got to come on something, and then the NBA and NFL is so powerful that they'll figure it out for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Perfect. And okay. Colin Kaepernick, do you think he's going to get uh, another chance in the NFL? What will his role be in all of this? I think somebody gave him a chance as a
1: backup, and then you know, you remember the Michael Vick story, right? You got as a backup, he came in, and you got 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 uh, uh, up, and then start to play a little bit more. But he will be picked up by somebody, be a backup probably, and then hopefully he'll get a shot in some games. It's just going to bring the people back and. A lot of cheers and, you know, have a swan song to his career and that would be great.
0: So, Ralph, the question is, we've talked a lot today about what's happening in the country, uh, how it relates to sports um, and uh, how sports relates to uh, this movement that's taking place. And I want to know what what can be done? You know, where do we go from here?
1: Well, as we end toward the end of this podcast, where do we go from here? I think the things where we talked about a lot and uh, everybody understanding the history of why this movement started and the history of it to understand a little bit better. Two, I think the educational system in our country and the world needs to be fixed. And three, I think the healthcare system as well needs to be done with uh, something done with with the pandemic that's shown a lot of stuff in certain communities and neighborhoods. And the last but not least, to be unified as a as a as a united front with people in the world uh, and, and, and live with peace, live with uh, harmony. Uh, you know, I think I bring jobs back. You got to do a lot of fundamental things from the government standpoint, but make this a unified front worldwide. And that's what this movement is going to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, to me, the most important thing is people need to vote. We see them out in the street marching, and that is great to keep this conversation alive and to say that enough is enough. We've, we're have we're fed up with racism and discrimination and police brutality, uh, but we need to vote. And I, yeah. these are some powerful numbers that I found, Ralph. In 2016, Donald Trump won the state of Pennsylvania by 44,000 votes. In Philadelphia alone, there were 238,000 blacks who did not vote in 2016. He won Michigan by 11,000 votes. In Detroit alone, 277,000 blacks didn't vote. In Wisconsin, he won by 23,000 votes only. In Milwaukee alone, 93,000 blacks did not vote. In Georgia... He won by 211,000. In Atlanta, 530,000 African-Americans did not vote. I can go on and on. I've got a long list here. You got to vote. You got to vote. It's significant
1: to vote and understand how and why to vote. If you don't, just don't go out.
0: People need to, uh, to be registered to vote and they need to understand that their vote matters. Their vote counts. People think, well, You know, what does my vote matter? The system is rigged. It's not – I can't affect change. We need to – every single day, these marches need to turn into voter registration drives because I do believe that leadership starts at the top. We need a new president of the United States, but it also – it affects you at a local right. level, and absolutely. you need to be educated on what's happening in your communities well, and vote in leaders Absolutely. Who want so, so to. So I like do to right see right
1: those now. see those numbers and who was registered to vote, mm-hmm. and who could vote. Uh, there's people that may be registered or not registered that may have some different charges against them that they can't vote. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they don't go vote, which I like to get more into and see kind of what that is sooner or later. Why don't they go to the polls and vote? Oh, I don't have time you know, uh, the lines are long, I don't want to wait in line, you don't vote. And then you complain about, about it again, because the other person there is, that got elected is there doing all this stuff that they're doing, but you didn't vote. So you should feel guilty about voting or not voting. I think the voter turnout this year is going to be amazing, but will it be circumvented by Trump and his power to be in some way? So people say, well, what do I, why do I vote? Because it's going to be messed up anyway. So there's a okay. reason why people don't vote. I don't know what that is, but I think this year you'll see a whole lot of change in, in that voting
0: system for sure. Well, I certainly hope so, because that uh, that is needed. And, Absolutely. and we are living in a, a movement right now. People are energized. And I just hope that can carry on Absolutely. until November, November 3rd. Uh, and I do think an important role in that sports, sports can keep The voice is alive. Keep the conversation going. The NBA is coming back July 31st. The NFL, as of now, is scheduled to start on time uh, in September. We'll see. We'll see. And athletes have a role in this to keep the conversation going. I'm energized and excited and optimistic by – LeBron James announcing more than a vote, trying to do this exact thing, registering LeBron, uh, yeah. black voters in key states. Well, you can register, but you got to vote.
1: You got to go to got to go to the poll and vote. And well, that, that's going to be huge in, in November. I mean, it's gonna are. be that's going to be huge,
0: and we're going to keep pushing that message too because that Absolutely. is it's so important. Well, Ralph, this, this is not a typical episode. Uh, of it was a fun Center one, though. I well, it's an important one. We we discussed important things because what's happening in 2020, as much as I would love to cancel this entire year, we yeah. can't. And there are but, important things happening that we will all learn from and grow from. So I'm glad that uh, we are discussing these topics. Yeah,
1: we are discussing. It'll be fun to discuss. We'll see what happens. Hopefully the next six months will be better than the, than, than the first six. So thank you yes. everybody for listening. And I look forward to more, many more shows and Other things we can do together, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun ride.
0: It's going to be a lot of fun. Every week you can find a new episode of Center Court right here where you get your favorite podcast. Thank you for tuning in to our first episode. We're going to bring you a lot more action, excitement, and we'll even throw in some laughs from time to time. It won't always be so heavy. We're going to have some great guests. Thanks for tuning in. Ralph, stay safe out there in quarantine. Absolutely. Thank everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening and join us next week right here on the Center Court Podcast.